Hey everybody, this is Atkins. And this is Adam. And we are welcoming you to another episode of the Almighty Podcast, in which we are covering My Hero Academia Vigilantes, the spin-off manga of the very popular anime and manga that shares, you know, three quarters of its name. Absolutely. And you know, I think uh, between this episode and the last episode, it was announced that My Hero Academia Season 6 would be returning in like fall of 2022. So we've got a while before uh, it's going to be airing. In fact, everyone in our Discord was like, all right, socks and ties time. They folks. knew exactly what was up. <laughs> <laughs> it made me proud. I saw that and like shed a tear. It they did. Know us. See, it's like they're listening. Yeah, That's what it's it is. great. It's yeah. great. Yeah. And we also, I think we have heard that uh, Horikoshi still has a very definitive end in mind, and it is not all that far off, a year, maybe two, and they're thinking that the My Hero proper is going to reach its its finale. Yeah, which I guess isn't too surprising. Like, I've been told by a handful of my personal friends and, and friends in the Discord that I these mangas are being pushed out as quick as possible, like just kind of cranked one over another, and so the fact that he still has an endpoint in mind and he's working towards that isn't super shocking or surprising. Like, they're trying to make room for the next big thing, it sounds like. What do you think the odds are that they're just going to let my hero end and be done? Because Vigilantes is close to being finished is what we're hearing as well. And so do you think that there's a good chance that this entire franchise just screeches to a halt and nothing else is to come out of that world or its, or its characters ever uh, again? I doubt it. I mean, I could see like My Hero is really, really popular and big enough that it feels like they could continue it somehow. And my thought is, if they do end up finishing My Hero Academia within its last season, they could probably start marketing for a Vigilantes anime and then keep that kind of, you know, rolling along in order to fund something new that could be maybe before all of this. I mean, just because I have no idea what the end in, in sight is, but if it is a quirkless world, that doesn't mean there aren't other things happening with these characters. I mean, think about a quirkless fallout everybody loses their quirk i would want to know what continues to happen to these folks like surely all for one would still have a plan yeah i don't know that i have that interest myself <laughs> i don't know i just think that's uh it could be interesting some people might yeah but I, I do think there's plenty of room for them to do a lot here yeah and and you know we've talked in the discord at length about you know if the quirk singularity is uh, you know, how this is all going to end and what it might look like on the other end of that. And some folks in the Discord have said that they, if they continue this story at all, then it needs to be set like a pretty decent shot into the future. Or we've already got a little bit into the past in Vigilantes. I don't know how far back you can really go given the relative newness of quirks. I guess you could go to like the super duper early years where people are just figuring out some of this stuff, but I don't know how entertaining that would be. Because it would be devoid of a lot of the characters that we already know and love. Not to say that they couldn't introduce other ones that we could know uh, and grow to love, of course. I think the years of All for One taking over would be really interesting. Like, I don't necessarily even want to follow one of the previous uh, One for All wielders as much as it would just be an interesting time to see Quirks developing in a world where there's this really, like, relevant evil villain out there just constantly manipulating things. That could be interesting, but... I don't know that it could be its own series. That feels like it could be a, um, almost like a mini arc, sort of like a history of Trunks in Dragon Ball, right? Like it could be like a 30-minute thing that's just a real quick over overview of everything. Yeah, I now I'm not into anime and manga as, as much as most folks that might be listening to us 
probably are. I mean, obviously, I have my my likes in, in those uh, franchises that I do pay a significant amount of attention to. I just wonder how frequently something is the kind of even like culturally uh, recognized hit that my hero has been and has a short run period like this one is claiming to possibly have and just completely disappears after it after you know credits roll on that last episode or or uh you know Horikoshi lists his thank yous at the end of the last volume of the manga kind of thing you know do you know of any other animes or mangas that have done that i mean I, that have it just been outright canceled um i i think that there are some that were kind of out of the picture for a time you know even a decade look at dragon ball for instance or uh I don't know what the gap was between like Shippuden and Boruto or if there even was one. That's true. But Dragon Ball really fell off for a while. Like they weren't doing much of anything for years and then Super Rolls back around, you know? That's Um, true. I mean, Boruto was being produced near the end of Shippuden, I'm pretty sure. Oh, so there was overlap between them? I never bothered with Boruto, so. Yeah, I remember reading that first chapter of Boruto and the manga may have ended, but the anime was still being produced, so... Because I remember having like a big watch party for the final episode of Shippuden and and having read the first chapter of Boruto. So I know there was a bit of overlap, at least between the anime and the manga. Uh, But yeah, that's true. I mean, who knows? We may not have My Hero for a decade and then all of a sudden it come back and it be set 200 years in the future and quirks are being developed again for some reason. And nobody was supposed to have quirks again. Like that could be kind of interesting. Well, and I think I may have actually misspoken about Dragon Ball because it's not like they were doing nothing. There were video games and there was gt and, and all kinds of stuff yeah. yeah and then they i mean even between gt and super a long period of time where video games were carrying the torch for that franchise um and it or sounds like heroes the dragon ball heroes thing yeah. yeah yeah so i don't know maybe i can't think of any that just kind of reached its its end this quickly i mean i think that the timeline is the thing that uh, you know maybe i'm a little fuzzier on because it feels like sure. my hero is still new um, and yet they're already talking about it kind of having its its end, which I still like. Uh, I've been on record that I like that Horikoshi has an end in mind. I think that that's important. I think that it's uh, I think that it is interesting, albeit a little bit daring to say that, that as popular as this thing is, it is going to come to an end. I, I like that. I think that that's refreshing. Personally, I understand that there are fans that probably think the exact opposite, but that's where I stand. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. I, I like the idea that it's going to end in due time and, and have a good wrap-up, hopefully, instead of getting caught in that like churn and burn where it's just story after story that no one really cares about. I, I could care less about that kind of story. I don't want to see that. Yeah, well, we shall have to wait and see what the future holds, just like regular schmucks, I guess. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, why don't you say we jump right into episode 94? It is titled The Underground Masquerade Case, and This is really the end of this arc, where we have traveled back in time, and we are seeing Knuckle Duster in the past as O'Clock infiltrating this base of 'er ne'er-do-wells and their their, uh, nasty gases that turn people into instant villains. Yes, and we... How do you like that recap? Boom. It was good. It was succinct. It was sufficient. (laughs) I I give it the Atkins stamp of approval. Um, So we we open up with uh, Knuckle Duster handing over his tactipack um, like his his man purse over to Tanama. Um, I did double check. I went back and checked in uh, even I think as early as the previous chapter, so 93, he did have this 
item on his back. So this didn't show up on the scene or disappear on a scene like All Might's pillow, for instance. This is what uh, he like put the uh, drugs in, right? Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't distinctly recall him doing that, but in the I went back in Red ninety three, and in the fight um, with the High End Nomu, he still had it uh, strapped on his back. So there's a, nice. there's continuity there, and I always appreciate things like that. Um, we are kind of given a recap of all the things that All Might did in the time that it took a pillow to fall from the sky from a few stories high. Um, it says that he inc- he rescued the injured, reinforced damaged buildings and cleared away any rubble and did this for, he saved like a hundred, uh, or no, he, he stopped nearly a hundred villains, which is some sort of new record. And I just love this panel of him with nails in his mouth and hammering quickly uh, like some boards onto the side of a building. I thought that that was really funny. Well, he is uh, traveling off and we get to see the almighty power might sleep where he's just hugging that pillow and falling asleep while flying. And uh, we get to check in on our good body fat gum who is like upset, I guess, at the fact that he got ran over by all those villains. So he decides that he is going to bulk up a little bit. He is eating some what I believe is takoyaki. That seems to be his favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And then we catch up with another very upset individual in the uh, the high-end Nomu is he's back where All for One and Kurogiri are, and he is just raging. He's angry. He's saying that he can still fight, and All for One is having none of this. Uh, yeah. The, the Nomu actually goes to punch at All for One, like defiance, um, but All for One does his favorite thing, which is makes a giant fist, even though he, he could do probably a million other things still, um, catches this, uh, the punch that the high end threw and then ends up on his back and it, and it gives you a scale. Like I didn't realize how big this guy had gotten until you see all for one sitting on his back and looking like, you know, even smaller than Yoda on the back of Luke and yeah, uh, like yeah. relative to size from one guy to the other. He's got him totally pinned down and he says, you're far from being a practical pawn. And then we see these like tendrils go from out of his hands and into the Nomu's face. And he explains that he thought that the martial arts would be able to get the job done, but he apparently totally missed the mark, and it's just not going to work out. So he's, like, reprogramming this Nomu or, or something. I mean, it doesn't seem like he can reprogram him on the fly because he has Kurogiri send him to the doctor, so that way, I guess, this Nomu can recover or the doctor can inject more quirks or something or change his quirk because he's basically saying that the quirk he's given him doesn't mesh with that ability to fight. So. Let's just change it up. Let's do something a little bit different here. Uh, and he goes away, and it's it's crazy. I mean, I, the idea that he's got this doctor in the background, too, that has access to these kids so early on, so they can basically pre-select quirks, is just nuts. Yeah, it's it's evil. I mean, it is unquestionably evil. And yeah. it's kind of nice to, to see that in villains. Like, what, there's a... Uh, a trend sometimes going in, in cinema in particular today where you can kind of see that the bad guy's making some good points, you know, and with all for one, everything that I've seen him do has been pretty blatantly evil. Like there isn't like this, Oh, but it's morally grit. Like, no, like the dude is a bad dude. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, he's telling Kurigiri that he's still pretty upset that he didn't get his hands on the o'clock quirk, but he's willing to be patient. Like he is totally down to get this quirk and he says he's already decided how to use it. And the idea of getting it is going to further his cause so much faster than any other quirk. He's probably going to pair that ability to think very quickly with some sort of a other quirk that replenishes his stamina or his brain is what I would guess. So he can just have it always turned on. 
it makes me wonder if that's why he has to have that weird helmet later on in the series. I mean, I know it probably because All Might smashed his face in. Oh, definitely. I like to think maybe it's also a combination of this quirk. Maybe it helps him keep it under control or something. I do like that he points out that the the reason why he wants overclock isn't strictly for the speed itself. Right, so he, it's he, the thinking capacity. Yeah, I like that. I like that that quirk has both of those elements. It makes it just gives it some depth, and I like that all for one understands that it has utility beyond I can run fast now. Yeah, there's I'm reading a book right now, and it's really interesting because there are all of these AI uh, individuals in the book, and they can turn down their frame rate so that way to them time is passing really really slowly compared to in the real world so if they're interacting with somebody they can turn down their frame rate and think about the situation and then turn it back up to be right back in the middle with a predetermined answer it's, it kind of reminded me of that interesting well we catch back up with uh with why am i blanking on names tiger my bunny? name's not adam yeah tiger <laughs> bunny uh, <laughs> good lord why do i was totally blanking on that and uh i i never noticed this about her about this particular character's design mirko's is that her, her wicked long eyelashes like they are super prominent in these next couple of scenes and it wasn't until the next page um where she actually has the, her little the the face mask that she stole off that I was like, good Lord, her eyelashes are like oh, insane yeah. long. Is that a thing about bunnies that I also don't know? Are we about to learn more biology or uh, biology facts? We learned about I, sea turtles in KC last week. That's a good point. I'm not super sure because I just assumed that was part of the mask. I didn't notice that until you just pointed it out. Yeah, me neither. Like this, this read through when she has her little mask off, I was like, good Lord, look at the yeah. eyelashes on her. Those are long. Huh? I will, I've never uh, noticed that. I'll do some research uh, between now and the next uh, AMP and determine if bunnies for some reason have wickedly long eyelashes or if this is just a crazy design decision. I mean, I know that like there is a trend in makeup where they extend that line out, you know, they, it kind of flares right. out. Um, you know, further away from the outside edge towards their ear. But this is hair, like it has depth and it extends beyond the frame of her face. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're totally right. It's not just a design choice, uh, like a makeup design choice. It it can't be. Uh, man, yeah, interesting. Well, regardless, uh, <laughs> O'Clock is following up with Rappa and Tiger Bunny and he's saying like, hey, you guys did a really good job today. You know, if, if you want me to, I can mention something in my police report. It's a good chance that you'll be compensated for your help uh, I, I don't know if you're interested in that or not. And Tiger Bunny says no. She says that she'll be raking in plenty of money as soon as she turns pro anyways, which makes sense. I mean, we've seen that they do basically like product ads and stuff. So I, I wouldn't put it past heroes in My Hero to just make stupid money. Uh, but Rappa says that he's not interested in that. He's like, you know what? Me being me, it's the only way I know. Uh, so he, he's, he does not want to be on any police reports, I can't imagine. Right. And Mirko actually interprets his statement of me being me is the only way that I know to suggest that, that, well, then you're going to be a villain and it's going to be me versus you. And so she's just like, I'll save my less deadly kicks for guys like you. Yeah. Which uh, I thought which was kind of nice. Yeah, it was, it was a nice, nice gesture. It would have been better. I think it would have been a clearer gesture if she said, I will save my less deadly kicks for you, not for guys like you. Because uh, yeah. I, I don't know what fully that means but uh that's what she says and rapid decides that he needs to go and move on to and maybe even find another one of these underground fighting rings because that's what he likes to do is just punch people it's what he's good at uh and knuckle duster throws a little bit of caution in his general direction you know these are just fronts 
it could get dangerous again. You might not make it out. But Rappa's just like, listen, if uh, if I, if we, if we see a repeat of what went down today, uh, this is uh, O'Clock, rather, to Rappa. If we see a repeat of what went down today, then you might not make it alive. And Rappa's response was, I can't wait. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. And we get to see him pull off his, like, mask thing and see his actual face. He looks pretty cool. Yeah, apparently he's frightening as hell because he passes two people, like, on the street on his way away, uh, off, walking off without his mask on. And one of them is, like, falling away from Rappa. Yeah. <laughs> and that one kind of looks like uh, uh, Wrapped. He the does, like... Drawn. Yeah, yeah, like a, a more humanoid wrapped. Uh-huh. Headcanon here, it's not that he looks scary, it's that he smells bad. He's been Ooh. fighting down there for months. You that know? Could, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we follow up with O'Clock the next day, and he is talking with Tenema and a couple of the officers, and he's explaining that his quirk is better suited for intel gathering than straight-up combat, which is literally contrary to everything we just read, but that's totally fine. Uh, and he's saying that he's going to follow the trail solo until he can get a good lead on who's really behind all of this. And then he's going to loop in the authorities. That's how he's always done things. And we kind of see a panel of him, like, I say flying, he's really just going really fast with All Might literally flying in the background. It's Superman versus the Flash. That's what that panel is. It's it's exactly what it is. (laughs) Who wins? Uh, you know, what's a big, okay. So you're a big DC guy. Uh, bigger, bigger than me. Who? You know what's funny is if you ask me if I'm a DC or Marvel guy, I wouldn't claim to be either, but I buy more DC stuff than I do Marvel anything. Okay, so as as a as a DC as a bigger DC fan than I am, if somebody approached you on the street and was like, "All right, who wins in a race, Superman or Flash?" What's your gut reaction? My gut reaction is Superman because authors will literally write him any power in the world at the drop of a hat. I hate Superman. He's one Are they of the still wo- doing that? Yes, and it frustrates the hell out of me. I really don't <laughs> like Superman. I used to have another podcast named Comic Book Cabinet where I read like got people up to date on their favorite characters right. and I think I read like 800 issues of Superman. Oh wow. And nothing about him has really changed. I mean, he's gotten more and more and more and more powerful and they just they they alter him anytime they need. And I hate that about his character. Like, he could be such a cool character, but instead he's kind of just this, like, perfect fix to any problem. Uh, So if you ask me, I'm going to say I want the Flash to win. I mean, Superman's never gone back in time, I don't think, going super fast like the Flash has. I mean, he did in the second movie, didn't he? The Christopher yeah, Reeves movie? The movies don't count. Oh. And he probably has in the comics. I'm probably wrong about he that. He probably has, man. What yeah. hasn't Superman done? Yeah, exactly. That's my point. That's why I'm saying Superman would win, but only because the authors can write him. So so what, who would you take in this race? All Might versus O'Clock? Uh, I'd go O'Clock, probably, if I really? had to guess. Yeah, because I don't think All Might... I mean, All Might's fast, but like O'Clock is able to probably outthink All Might in a split-second decision. If I had to guess, I mean, we're talking like drag race, though, man. Yeah, like, I meet me would, on the quarter mile be, track. What, that would be what, enough. What does thinking have advantage. to do with that, though? Oh, everything. I mean, yeah. like being able to see that light turn green just a, I mean, fraction of a second before All Might does could mean a better takeoff. You know, it would be interesting. Like I would say, a sprint would be interesting between the two of them, a short yeah. distance, because O'Clock has to hold his breath while he's running, right? And that his thing. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, to move quickly, he's got to. I think that's how his quirk works. He's he certainly had talked about when he was fighting with the high end Nomu that uh, you know, he had to remove his face mask to help facilitate his breathing, especially between holding that breath. I think that's how his quirk works. So in a sprint it might be a close race, but you know, over you know, a longer distance, I think that all might just from a stamina perspective would probably win. You know, I would like to see a race between All Might and Chris. 
Chris, Captain, uh, oh, Captain yeah, celebrity. Captain Celebrity. Just because their their quirks are so similar. I mean, I think they're pretty similar anyways. All Might's just kind of like a beefed up version of Captain Celebrity. So it would be interesting to see them do like a similar thing, like flying. Who Who could fly around the world fastest, you know? I would be into that on one condition that would never be met. And that's that at the beginning of the race, All Might does to... Uh, Captain Celebrity, what Krillin does to Goku at the beginning of their first race in the second, is it the second movie? The second, the second movie trips him. Yeah, yeah. Like, go, and then immediately <laughs> trips him, and then continues running. Like I, I would see Captain Celebrity doing that, too. Uh, Captain Celebrity would t- totally do it, but I want him to be the one that bites it. I want All Might oh, to be the All one Might tripping. Oh, you want All to do that? Yeah. That would be funny. Yeah, I like that. I'd read, <laughs> I'd read that. That would be awesome. Yeah. Maybe we'll get it in a smash. Ooh, yeah, we need to do another Smash volume. It's been a while. We do. We keep talking about it, but we we, <laughs> we really do. <laughs> well, back into uh, this chapter, uh, we've got O'Clock catching Tenema up, and he's talking about how he had some unexpected interference show up, and he's he's talking about Tiger Buddy and Rappa and how they've shown up and helped them actually take out this unexpected interference or the Nobu. Um, and Tenema's like, hey, you want to share a little bit of info about this? You know, you want to give me some more information? But he declines. He says he's asking to, you know, to keep this quiet. He, he wants to keep investigating at his own pace. Um, and, and then he says, this enemy is crafty. Now that we're hot on their trail, they're sure to keep an eye on our comings and goings. And we find this to be very true here in just a few scenes. Yes, and he ends this, like, before we catch back up to uh, the present day, finally, uh, at the very end of this flashback is O'Clock basically saying, listen, there's plenty else that I need to tackle a case like this in addition to these other two things, uh, caution and vigilance. Um, He lists audacity, freedom, diversity, all in all, and then he says, imagination, maybe? What do you think he meant by that? I don't know. I have no idea. I, at first, I was wondering if maybe he willfully became knuckle duster. Like, that's the imagination part. Like, what if I played a role, you know, become this quote unquote vigilante to get into the underground and find the nitty gritty stuff? But I don't know if maybe he means something else. Well, he doesn't, it, he wasn't knuckle duster and also possessor of O'Clock, though, right? We don't know that. I mean, there's nothing telling us that he wasn't. But I mean, besides, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, the only the other time that the, the time that we saw all for one take O'Clock from O'Clock, uh, he was suited up. But that's not to say he doesn't make some costume changes in between. Sure. But, I mean, there, yeah. there have been plenty of times superheroes have continued to be superheroes while also being like a street version of themselves. It, I, I mean, I can see that with O'Clock. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I Hawks really is kind of that. doing like a double take right now. You know, he's he's Hawks, but he's also a member of the League of Villains and a member of the Meta Liberation Army. I could see O'Clock playing two roles. He he literally just did it. We watched him do it with uh, R- Ripper. Yeah, so with Ripper. It, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't I, be the first time. Yeah, I don't think that's what happened, but there I, is I the possibility either, but... that that's happened, I guess. Yeah, why not? Uh, but we do finally catch up to the present and to Sansa, everybody's favorite cat cop. Um, and what I love about his introduction is that he's yawning and stretching and they went through the trouble of like putting the little, uh, like jump or hair lines on his back, you know, like the hackles of a cat while they stretch. Yes. I, I thought was that, that was great. Fully expecting a hairball. 
Like, oh, that I'm surprised awesome we've not seen that yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's great. Or or it would have been funny to also have seen just like underneath his desk, the the hints of a litter box of some kind or a scratching post. Yeah. Scratching post, probably the more realistic of those two things. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> like like he wouldn't just keep his litter box in the uh, <laughs> office where he would just drop Catman trowel in front of everybody. And oh, but take if he did. I could totally see this being a thing where Tenoma puts his cigarettes out in that thing, and he has to be like, not again. Yep. I've told oh, you, this isn't your ashtray. <laughs> we are writing volume six of Smash as we're going through this episode of the a and um, we got to get the writers listening to us, man. They're going to get all kinds of great ideas. Yeah, they're not one of the three people that listens to us, I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> um, but Sansa's out of coffee, and uh, Tanama says that he needs some too. And Tanama's thinking, he's trying to piece some of these things together. So he says, O'Clock wasn't willing to spill any details uh, back then when this underground uh, fight club incident happened. But he said, but that underground masquerade case, the UMC, which becomes important later because I didn't draw those lines initially because I'm an idiot. Um, it turned out to be connected to all for one, the baddest of all the bad guys. And he thought that that got solved between uh, in the fight between all for one and one for all or all might. But he's starting to get deja vu. He's starting to see some similarities between the underground masquerade and what's been going on in Naruhata recently. Yeah. And as he's starting to put this together, uh, someone appears behind him. And at first he thinks that it's Sansa. Uh, but it's actually some guy, and I say some guy, he kind of looks like Mirio, like just this really plain face, uh, but he's got black hair, and he's saying that he works over in the archives, and there's a problem with the paperwork that Tanama submitted whenever he signed out the documents that we saw him do, what, like 20 chapters ago, it feels like, um, and he says, hey, you know, I, I need to take a look at those just to see what all you checked out, and Tanama's really careful. He's like, okay, yeah, you, you know, you can take a look at them, but I've got to hang on to these because this is going to tie a lot of things together like i'm in the middle of tying he says osaka's cold ugm case to the villain outbreaks in naruhata the past few years and as this guy takes the papers he says no i'm afraid i have to process them now and lights them on fire and he says see you drawing a line between this that and the other thing would be a real headache and it is six so he he captures the papers and it catches them on fire and then we see uh, Sansa walking down the hallway in a boom in the, the right-hand corner, and it, the whole side of the building blows up. And Six escapes. He does, and he's apparently a master of disguise. This is not the first time that we've seen him parading around in public, even with people that we're familiar with. Um, I was thinking, that's got to be one of his quirks. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, or just a really good skill, like he's the rogue. You Could know? be, yeah, I guess. But I like the idea of it being one of his quirks. So he, you know, jumps out of the building uh, and zooms off and he's congratulated by O'Clock or what appears to be O'Clock, who says that's a job well done. Number six, always strike first to erase every trace of the past. And without the proper information, the powers that be can't make a move. What do you make of O'Clock's appearance here? Okay, so I actually had a lot of thoughts about this. It makes me wonder if all for one has figured out how the one for all quirk works and like accumulating power. And so when he is giving people like six, these powers, they're also receiving their own versions of what Deku has been seeing with these past wielders. It makes me wonder if, if six has like maybe five or six other wielders of quirks that he interacts with. And those quirk wielders may not necessarily be fully aware of who has their quirk or how it works. In this instance, it may just be an imprint of, of O'Clock. Like, mentoring someone as if it was his mentor and he may not be aware that they're doing evil things it's just an imprint of that personality you know what i mean 
Yeah, and I had considered something along those lines, but I think I lean more in the direction of that this is like Six's projection. Like a hallucination? Uh, Yeah, kind of. It's like a, a piece of his psyche that he is manifesting. Okay. That isn't, it, it, obviously, I don't think that this is a physical manifestation. Even the way that he's drawn is a little indicative or implies oh, yeah. that, I think. I agree. Um, but that he has so romanticized this concept of O'Clock and uh, would only ever see the O'Clock, his ideal version of O'Clock being on his side and being congratulatory and supportive and encouraging and all that kind of thing. And so this is this is like his subconscious congratulating himself. It's like an internal conversation that he is kind of a, a attached a face to. Um, kind of like there was a run of Moon Knight Oh shoot! I don't oh remember yeah, yeah. There are so many good runs of Moon. It's probably Michael Bendis, if I had to guess. It might have been, and and it was one where um, Moon Knight had different images for the different parts of his psyche. So like lawful good looked like Spider Man, and chaotic yes. good looked like Wolverine. Yep, that's Bendis. Uh, or lawful good might have been Captain America. There's Captain can... America, Spider Man, and Wolverine. Yeah, uh, and, and and each that's of kind his of how personalities I interpreted were different this. ones. Yeah, yeah, totally. I yeah. can see that. That's a really good example and a, a really good reference too. If you've never heard about Moon Knight, you should absolutely go check it out. Like, incredible, incredible character. Um, especially the run that Atkins is talking about. Bendis's run on Moon Knight is easily the best, and I think it's only four chapters, so absolutely worth a check out. I wrote about it for Nerds on Earth years ago. So if you went to Nerds on Earth and search for like uh you know what comics to read or something like that and moon knight or comic characters you should know moon knight you should find that article that yeah. i wrote i actually did a, another comic book cabinet episode on moon knight uh it's out there so if you want to check out the old back patio network they have got a moon knight episode with me in it sweet so two, two old that. references for you <laughs> yeah yeah take it away back well that will take us into uh chapter 95 as we are left with uh six kind of uh, explaining to us, the readers, that to remain free and untouchable, then they need to keep the enemies uh, in the dark. And that will take us into episode slash chapter 95, which we don't get a title for uh, until a few pages in, because first we catch up with um, Eraserhead or Aizawa and Present Mike. Yeah, absolutely. It's awesome. Present Mike is like, yo, Eraser, working after hours again? Uh, he is, he's, you know, always there and, and racer is talking about how he's covering for midnight. Her work's been piling up and, uh, you know, he, he, uh, is sitting in front of a computer there. I'm no telling what he's doing, like maybe grading people on something, but he's, he's listening to something and present Mike can hear that he snatches his headphones and he's like, man, you got to get some better buds. These are horrible, serious sound language, which makes me wonder present Mike hasn't shown any uh, quirkiness super hearing. of super hearing yeah, yeah. that i'm aware I had of the same thought yep this is the first time where i can recall him uh suggesting that he had super sensitive hearing it makes some sense but it also doesn't make any like does his is his ears immune to the kind of volume that his own mouth and lungs can emit maybe that's what's around his ears are they, they may not just be normal headphones maybe they're sound canceling headphones but yeah, but then how would he hear anything? I, I he always know. has them on. <laughs> I, this was a weird question in my notes as well. I'm like, I'm not sure that I agree with this, but hey, whatever. Well, the what he hears leaking out of Aizawa's headphones is interesting, though. It's um, news reports from Naruhata, 
And so this is present Mike or present Mike. This is Aizawa kind of keeping tabs on the home turf of his buddies, the Naruhara Vigilantes, which is endearing. And, and present Mike is trying to get Aizawa to cop to that, but he won't. Yeah. Yeah. And Aizawa just says, sadly, I'm not their teacher. Uh, but present Mike picks up on this and he's like, yeah, I mean, you may be saying that and you may be trying to hide it behind that grumpy old mug, but the truth comes out in your voice. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that Aizawa cares about these folks. Um, and it's funny because I was always just like, all right, well, then I better be quiet and you can shut up too. Yeah. And it's interesting too. Tomac and I got into this a little bit, uh, in the discord this morning. He said that this is one of the first times uh, when he really started to like Aizawa, because you can see in Aizawa here him starting to have an affinity uh, for others that he had basically almost, uh, even within the pages of Vigilantes early on, had said, because of the, sh the experience that I had with Shirakumo, I'm not going to allow myself to have these kind of attachments. Um, and now he's he's clearly forming those. And we see that kind of bond also in My Hero Academia proper uh, in with the obvious affection that he has uh, for his students, you know, even besides or including uh, the threats to expel them all on the first day. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, well, their conversation is interrupted because Aizawa gets a text message. President Mike asks from who? And I guess you can assume that it's uh, Detective Sukwauchi because they kind of transition into conversations between him and multiple people. And I really like the way they do it because one panel, it's Midnight. The next panel, it's Soga. And then the next panel, it may be someone else. But it's pretty much his interactions with all of the different people involved in the story so far. Wait, the rest of interactions? Uh, Sukwauchi, right? No, no, no. So the, the phone conversation that we get... Is that between the... Soga and M Midnight? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I read this totally differently. I assumed that everyone was talking to Sukuauchi. No, no, we don't see Sukauchi talking with anybody again until he's on the phone with Mikado later. Huh, okay. Um, and and there, we don't really get um, a, a great indication of why it is that Sukauchi is reaching out to Aizawa, except for possibly, and this is, gets into a little bit of how this chapter ends, maybe he's trying to reach Aizawa to either do him a professional favor of... Um, letting him know that he's going to bring in the Naruhata vigilantes oh, or at okay, least yeah. crawler or number two, recruiting him to go and bring in the crawler. See, what would I do without you? My literary skills are just not that high. Yeah. <laughs> You're reading <laughs> comprehension. This has nothing to do with literary. See? Anything. <laughs> what would I do without you? Well, we do get Failure the title. SAT. We do get the title of uh, the, the chapter here. It's named moon. And the, the image is an awesome image of Koichi who we've not seen in a long, long time. Yeah, and we're kind of whisked. We we catch back up with the moon stuff about midway through this particular chapter, but we we are taken into this conversation between Midnight and Soga, um, and they're just they're hashing it out initially about Pop and her condition, um, and whether or not Soga uh, is going to cooperate with the police. And he's like, "Yeah, so long as they're willing to, you know, protect her. Her safety is our." Uh, is our top priority. You remember at this time, they're still standing outside of the hospital. Um, Koichi is still keeping guard from on top of nearby uh, building. And we're led to believe that he hasn't left that post in days. Yeah. He mentions that it's not super cool hanging out in his underpants for this long. And uh, so they send wrapped out to his apartment or his little building on top of a building in order to pick up some clothes and get him a, a change. And when he shows up, he actually notices that the window appears to have been broken and someone has broken in. And it absolutely cracks me up because he just says, burglars? Well, whatevs. It's not like it's my place. <laughs> That's just yeah. like, come on, man. 
Raft yeah. is so funny. He's such an agent of his own, you know? Yeah, and so he's he's collecting uh, underpants and a shirt and I think a towel. Um, and th- I thought that this part of this chapter could have been done better. Um, Tom Mack and I were also talking about this this morning uh, in the Discord because he was like, well, did you notice what was missing from the apartment? Right. And I, and I wanted to be like, how could you not? Because they literally beat you over the head with with uh, what is missing in these panels. Yeah, because it's literally wrapped, like pulling things out of a chest of drawers. And in the background is that pegboard that we saw. I went and looked it up. It's in episode or chapter 24 where Koichi like pins on Knuckle Duster's things or like his his uh oh his their, brass, uh, knuckles. brass knuckles. Yeah. And in this, it's like that panel, and they're clearly not there. And then it zooms in on it on the next panel, and then you turn the page, and it's a panel of them there. So, like, how could you, yeah, how could you not notice? Yeah. They're really hammering this one in. Like, to be fair, though, it's been 70 chapters since you've really seen them. I mean, yeah, they've, but they've anybody paying even a modicum of attention would have noticed two things. Number one, the burglar didn't, whoever it was that burgled the place didn't burgle it in a in an aggressive way they like if it was they came six, for one trying, thing yeah if it was six, yeah the tv's still there everything's still in order he it was minimal damage done to gain entry and this is a you know this uh building if you can call it that this little you know uh, what have we been calling it uh, a cargo shipping container it you know, like on top of this container. building yeah. it's not like he had to worry about prying guys this building was like condemned so if somebody really wanted to get in there and take his stuff, they could have just kicked down the door. Nobody would have known. Um, so this was Knuckle Duster, I think, breaking in, uh, doing as little damage as possible, retrieving what was his and and sleeking his way out. But see, yeah, I don't way- think it's Knuckle Duster only because he never broke in before. He always had access. Why would he have to break in now? Uh, I don't know. I thought he had broken one time. I don't think he had. I could be because there was a time where Koichi like came in and Knuckle Duster was already there. How did he get in that first time? Well, I he I, broke. I thought he broke something. I don't think he broke anything then. And then I just assumed from there on out he had access. But I would think that Knuckle Duster would have the ability to like crack an easy you know doorknob lock. Like that seems like something totally yeah, within true. his his skill set. So the idea that he had to break that window seems totally weird to me. I, I definitely don't think this was Knuckle Duster. I'm well, sure I'll, I'll be proven wrong. I have no theories. Oh, it, really? It doesn't feel like something, uh, not O'Clock, but a six. It doesn't feel like something six would do either. No, I don't I mean, think, I don't even I don't know think that this was six. I think he oh, would, he but. could know that those existed there and want to take them, but it feels weird to me. I, I just don't think it would be six. Yeah, my reflex was Knuckle Duster, and I could be proven wrong, but. Um... Yeah, we'll 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 see. Somebody broke in and all they wanted was those brass knuckles for yeah. whatever reason. And we know that it's not Koichi and it's not Pop. It seems like Knuckle Duster might have been the only other person that knew these things were hanging up there. But I don't know, unless like Mikado is like back in Japan breaking in windows. <laughs> but that doesn't seem like her M.O. either. Yeah, that really. And Mikado, wasn't she? Or Koichi's mom? Suspect. Uh, maybe. That... She wants to upgrade her fly swatter quirk. That's exactly what it is. Brass knuckles. Yeah. Well, we're treated to a flashback from the past where Koichi and Pop are standing out uh, on the front of his lawn, is what I'm going to call it. It's just the roof of this abandoned building. And uh, they're looking up at the moon, and you know it's funny because they, they say that they're trapped in, in this small area with all of these huge buildings, so they don't have a great view. But Koichi says, well, hey, you know, just because we've got a smaller slice of sky, it makes the moon look bigger. And, and Pop really latches onto this. She, she seems to really like that and says that it's really deep. But Koichi's like, oh, I just thought it was a cool line. 
but now he's reciting it to himself, and he's saying, hey, Pop, there's another pretty moon out tonight. Once you're all better, we'll have plenty to talk about. The small stuff, the silly stuff, the stuff that just makes life you know, a little more fun. Uh, we'll talk until we're all talked out. And we see her laying in the bed, like still recovering, completely unconscious. Yeah, and he says, too, that it, it, they might not be able to talk until they're all talked out as soon as they would like, but he's not going anywhere. And I thought that that was a good uh, a good line. And he finishes this kind of dialogue with himself um, by saying, the same moon's looking down on both of us. And that reminded me of all things of, like, Fievel goes west or, totally. or Fievel in American tale because there's a scene where like him and his families are split up and they sing that um, somewhere out there song, yeah. which is like exactly the sentiment of this particular scene. Like I meant to look up the lyrics, but it's this. It is this. It was we're under the same sky, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, Fievel. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, now we transition over to Su- Sukuauchi making some phone calls or getting some phone calls. I thought that they were all talking to him earlier. Clearly they were not. Uh, he is actually getting a call from his sister, Mikado. She wants to know what's going on. Like, he, she, she needs to know what's happening with her friends, I'm sure. And she thinks that she can get that information from her brother since that is the guy on scene. He knows what's going on. But this really pisses him off. I mean, he, he says, my police work is not up for casual discussion. Uh, and, I mean, it sounds like he's not going to give her any details. And, and he's kind of, like, questioning himself and everything that he's been doing and, and all of the events leading up to this. and whether or not he's really okay with how he's let things play out, it seems like. Yeah, I I think that that was my larger read of this situation, too. He's realizing that the attack on the police station was directly related to all that they've been kind of sticking their noses in in Naruhata. Um, he even mentions that Tanama has, is showing no signs of waking up, so he's in really bad shape. Um, and he's reminded of something that Soga had said, where Soga is putting the blame on the justice system as it stands. He says, uh, you know, these bodies are weighing on you. Well, maybe if you guys could actually do your jobs right, then the vigilantes wouldn't have to kind of fill this, uh, this, this liminal space or these gaps in, they don't have to be your backup if the system works like it should. Um, Sukauchi ends up being startled by Sansa and Sansa says that the arrest warrant for Koichi Hamawari, a.k.a. the Crawler, has come in. And I was kind of hoping that it would be the Crawler and it would be, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, not admissible in court because he'd be like, well, I'm not the Crawler, so that's not for me. But That's um, funny, yeah. Yeah, it seems like Sukauchi checks it uh, for accuracy and and he says that there may be a grain of truth to what Soga was telling him that as authorities we can't allow ourselves to rely on these outlaws. So... And he says this, and this is the thing that maybe I had the largest issue with. He says to 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 do that, to to allow ourselves to rely on outlaws would be to admit that the justice system has failed. And he can do that and also go and try to make things better. But he kind of swings in this in the opposite direction or, or maybe in not in the opposite direction, but too far in the direction that he should be moving in um, by thinking that now he has to arrest these vigilantes that have served him well in the past. Um, but I think he sees it either as damage control because he said multiple times and midnight said the same thing to Soga earlier, who would have later related it to um, Koichi that if they're not careful, they're going to get caught up in something that is well beyond their abilities. They're going to be in real imminent danger. Sukauchi has said that from like day one. Um, so that could be a, a reason why he's as fired up as he is because he has failed to keep them out of these situations by serving justice as he understood it back then for sure um 
or it, it could be kind of this this other approach that he's taking where he's out to prove now that if we just do this justice thing now the way that I think it should be done, that things will improve. Um, and so I'm curious to see how all of this develops in the in the uh, coming chapters. I am too. And, and two things here. So first of all, I think I'm leaning more towards your first point where I think he's he was okay with the vigilantes when they were taking care of like what he would have considered maybe petty crime. But now that they're involved in what he considers like the big boy stuff, it's not okay anymore. They've got to be taken out of the picture. Otherwise, it's his butt on the line. You know, how does it look to the public if the vigilantes are doing the cop's job? It doesn't look good, right? Uh, But the second thing that I I hadn't considered until these panels when he mentions that Tanama's not doing well, uh, I don't think we've ever seen Tanama in My Hero proper, but we have seen Sukawachi and Sansa. So that doesn't speak well to him. Yeah, I can't recall seeing Tanama in My Hero proper. I couldn't either. And so it just kind of made me think like, oh, wow, that's probably is it. Now I feel bad for thinking he was evil. <laughs> yeah. That was proven wrong real quick. <laughs> man, he was he was hot on the case, man. I know. He, he, he drew was all too the close. aggro from six. He was too close. But it, it was crazy thinking that like within that one panel, it mentions that like, hey, we people are going to be paying way too much attention to us. We got to keep this low and, and out of the, the eyesights of others. And then... 10 years later or however many years later Tanama's bringing things back up trying to figure out what's going on and right there they are watching him they knew it and they took him out that's crazy yeah I I'm curious to see how this arrest warrant gets served um I'm curious to see if Aizawa um is brought in to actually execute it if that would be interesting if, if Zukauchi is straight flexing by saying I know you know them you're a pro hero I'm commissioning you to serve this part, this this uh, arm of justice in this p- uh, specific way, and how Aizawa will handle that. That yeah. would be interesting to me. That might be the text message Aizawa's getting. That would be interesting. I like that idea. Well, yeah, I can't, like I can't I wait for earlier. These next two I chapters. think that that text message is either that it's either a recruitment or it is like a professional courtesy, like, "Hey, just so you know, I'm going to do this thing. Um, I'm I'm going to go arrest somebody that I know you have some ties to." Uh, one of those two things, I think, is true. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to find out, man. Me too, and we will do that in two weeks when we continue reading through My Hero Vigilantes with uh, chapters slash episodes 96 and 97. And if you are interested in keeping up with something next week, we have another Kyo Cinema uh, movie review coming out, and we will be covering the Lord Slug movie from uh, 1991. If you haven't had a chance to go check out our review of the Korean film Sun Goku Win Sun Goku, that movie is something else you really should go check out last week's episode of kyle cinema absolutely and the movie upon which uh it is based that episode and as always find us on twitter if you find us on twitter you can also find us on discord through the pin tweet leave us a review on itunes that will be helpful for both kyle cinema and for the amp and uh come and be a part of the conversation that takes place daily literally daily inside of our discord we would love to hear from you and chat with you absolutely we'll see everyone hopefully next week but if not in two weeks see you guys Yeah, it makes me wonder too. Like in this scene, are we ever going to get? I'm going to mention that later. This is a different time. I 
apologize. Disregard. I'm going to start. Okay. Over. You want me to cut that? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'll stick it at the end of the episode. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just do that. <laughs>